0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church, and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, good evening. It is an amazing honor to be with you for the very first time. Jedediah told me much about this house, and a huge thank you to Pastor Tony and Kath for the honor to get to know you tonight, and to spend time absolutely loving the worship experience, loving the, uh, the ability to be back, and you just saw a video about One Nation One Day, which will happen this July. As you may know, the vision of One Nation One Day is to unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of nations. If we were to be honest and look at church history over the last 2,000 years, I think we'd have to say for 2,000 years in so many ways, the body of Christ has been dividing. Every year, every 10 years, every 20 years, there's a new denomination, a new faction, a new segment to the body of Christ. And the world has yet to see the power of a united church. Wouldn't it be amazing if instead of dividing, we come together for our core purpose to bring salvation and transformation to nations? One of the things we've been saying as a ministry is that we've not just stepped into a new season, but we've actually stepped into a new era. A season, of course, is a glimpse of something we've seen before. You're coming into fall. You know here in Adelaide the temperatures will begin to drop. You know what happens in the fall because you've experienced it before. But we believe we've not just entered into a new season, we've actually entered into a new era. And in this era, God is moving on His church and through His church as never before in human history. And so we're expecting such amazing things. We're declaring that we've stepped into the best decade in ministry history since the, be- the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the start of the early church. How many people think it's possible? The best decade in ministry history is upon us right now. And the vision of One Nation One Day is to give Jesus the glory of entire nations. I want you to think about that. One When Jesus was fasting in the wilderness and Satan tempted Jesus, what did he say? He took him up to a high point and he said, look at the nations, all these nations and the glory and splendor that is in them I will give to you if you worship me. Why was that an authentic temptation for Christ? Because Jesus actually came for the glory of nations. And we believe that each nation nation has a unique glory that only it can give Christ. And our dream this summer is to give Jesus the glory of the entire nation of Nicaragua that only Nicaragua can give Jesus. And our heart is uh, to see a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, where the ancient prophet asked the question, can a nation be saved in a day? And we want to answer that with a big yes. How many people think that's a good idea? So we're so, so excited about what God is doing We'd love you to be a part of the vision at some point and come give Jesus a nation with us. But it's an amazing honor to be back in Australia. I have amazing respect for the church of Australia. The church of Australia has raised the bar for the body of Christ across the globe. I think no one worships like you. Uh, Australia has an excellence in church like few nations in the world. And uh, we're just honored to be here and serve the body of Christ here. I'm so pumped my wife Lindsay's here and gets to experience it. And I gotta tell you, Adelaide has got an unbelievable culture, food, beach. I'm loving this city. And we're actually just extending our trip this week, enjoying it. And I said it this morning I think Adelaide just may be my favorite city in the nation of Australia. And I'm not just saying it, it is awesome. I completely love it. So it's a privilege and a thrill to be here. Well, everybody knows the best-looking people on the face of the earth are down under. So quickly, would you turn to your neighbor and say this with me? Say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best-looking person in church tonight. (laughs) And turn to your neighbor on the other side saying, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best-dressed person in church tonight. Unbelievable style here in Adelaide. The only promise I I have left to keep is that I'll bring my boys here eventually. I have two boys, Mason and Jude. They're two and five years old. I've got a picture of them here for you to see. Hopefully, you'll be able to meet them one day. If you do, it will be the highlight of your year, arguably your entire life. But uh, see, I told you, they're just absolutely amazing. So we want to come bring them and let them come experience Oz. We think that would be awesome. Did anyone come hungry for God's word tonight? We're going to begin in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Familiar section of the Bible, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It reads, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never even entered the heart of humanity, what you have prepared for us to love you. And Lord, we posture our hearts to encounter you today. Father, we thank you that you didn't come to make bad people good, you came to make dead people alive, and I thank you that as your word is proclaimed tonight, you are calling to life your eternal purposes over each and every person in the building. Father, we approach your word with humility, reverence, and great expectation in our heart. May we be never the same, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. As you read your Bible and as you study the New Testament, one of the most important things to remember is that most of the events of the Old Testament were strategically included by God to be types and pictures, even foreshadowings of what would ultimately fu- be fulfilled in Christ. Probably the most dramatic moment of the entire Old Testament is the Exodus, when God raises up a man named Moses to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and deliver the people of God after 400 years of slavery to the nation of Egypt. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that when Israel comes out of Egypt, it's actually a type and a picture of when the church, you and I, come out of not slavery to a nation, but slavery to sin. And one of the amazing things about God, it was never his intention to merely deliver the people of Egypt, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. He always had intended that they not just be delivered out of Egypt, but that they also enter into a place of promise. And one of the truths that we need to capture tonight is God doesn't merely want to deliver us from sin. That's actually just Step one, he actually wants to move us into promise. Tragically though, so many of the people of Israel were content in the wilderness. But the truth is, the wilderness was never supposed to be their final destination. It was always merely meant to be transitional and seasonal. And yet so many of, in Israel were content in the wilderness. I don't know about you tonight, but I don't want to languish in the permissive will of God. I want to flourish in the place of promise. And before we go any further tonight, I want to state categorically that there is a place of promise for every single person in the building. And that place of promise is a place of flourishing. That place of promise is a place of blessing. That place of promise is a place, place of fruitfulness. And that place of promise is a place where heaven has commanded its blessing. And that place of promise actually exists for every single person in the room tonight. Now notice what he tells Joshua. He says, Joshua, wherever you set your feet will be land that I give you. And the truth is, the place of promise for your life is one of God's greatest gifts to you. Like a loving parent on Christmas morning, anxious to see the expression on their child's face as they unwrap the gift, so it is with your place of promise. God actually waits in expectation anxious for the moment that you and I get to uncover what he's prepared for us before the foundations of the world. In fact, I believe with all of my heart that God is so excited for the moment when you and I get to truly see the place of promise, the divine place of promise that he's prepared for you and for me. The obvious question becomes, though, how do I step into promise? How do I get where I'm going? How do I get to the place that heaven has prepared? I want to share six truths with you tonight, and I want you to hide them in your heart. I believe with all of my heart, if you will do these things, you will find yourself in the center of God's best. Number one, have eyes that see. A little girl was able to go on a cruise ship for the very first time and she was so excited because she'd never been out on the water and as the boat left the port and went off into the sea, she immediately ran to the edge of the boat. She struggled to get her head above the ledge and her father could see that she was struggling so he reached down to where she was, put her on his shoulders and suddenly her eyes grew really big and she said, Dad, I can see further than my eyes can look. That little girl's statement captures the essence of what it means to have spiritual sight. Because when you have spiritual sight, you can actually see in the spirit further than your physical eyes can look. Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. I think about the moment where Moses calls the spies together and he says, go to promise, go and observe and come back and bring me a report. You know the story, 10 of the spies came back and they said, Lord, or they said, Moses, I don't know if you're aware, but, but there's walls, there's giants. And they went through all of the challenges and the barriers, but Joshua and Caleb come back and they said, I know they see giants, but that's all we can see is Grapes. That's all we can see is potential. In fact, we can imagine living there. We can see our children's children in this place. We see the beauty. We see what's possible. See, most people have eyes that look. They're only able to see as far as they can see with their natural eyes. But in order to enter into promise, you actually have to have the precious gift of spiritual sight. Do you know what is God's will for you? That you wake up in the morning with crystal clear clarity on exactly what he's prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. He wants you to wake up in the morning with a vision burning in your heart that he gives you as you press into him. In fact, if you go through this Christian life without the precious gift of vision, it's an injustice. It's an injustice to follow Jesus and not have crystal clear clarity on what he's designed for you. The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the will of God. That means God wants us to know his will. That means his will should be known by you and I. Eyes that look are common Eyes that see are rare. It's impossible to enter into promise without that precious gift of spiritual sight. As we're beginning another year, 2017, maybe one of the most significant things we could do is if we lost spiritual sight is to go back to the prayer closet and say, Lord, open up my eyes. Cause me to be able to see when my physical eyes are closed. It's an injustice, and it's impossible to enter into promise without eyes that see. How do we get where we're going? Number two, place your feet in the place of promise. I love what he tells Joshua. He says, Joshua, everywhere you place your feet, you will be on land that I give you. About seven years ago, the Holy Spirit spoke to my wife and I and said, that he began to speak to our hearts that the city we were living in would not be our permanent destination, but that he was going to move us to a city of influence. And not only that, one of the most significant parts of our call was gonna be to raise up a college, to raise up leaders and, and send out people all over the world and that we would attract young people from across the world and we would reproduce ourselves in that place. Well, for seven years, we carried that word in our hearts. And at the beginning of last year, we began to feel like the time was coming to lean into it. And so we began to, we knew we would be in the west part of the United States, we knew we would be in in California, we just didn't know specifically where. And I'll never forget, we, we identified a piece of commercial real estate, and I started to call all these commercial realtors in the region, and nobody would return our phone call. Finally, we found a commercial realtor that didn't require proof of funds. Amen. And, and I'll never forget walking into this building with Lindsay. On paper, no missions organization should have this building. It was completely disruptive. And it was in a place that missions organizations shouldn't typically be. But in so many ways, that's exactly why I wanted to be there, because missions organizations shouldn't do 18 stadium events in the same moment. Missions organizations often don't meet with presidents. We often don't rent 747 airplanes and charter them multiple times. So I said, that's actually exactly where we want to be. We stepped into this building in beautiful coastal Southern California and could see the water from this place in this disruptive environment and... Lindsay looks at me and says, I can't actually imagine a better place. I said, Lindsay, even though this building was built in 1990, I feel like it was literally built for us. The only problem is we actually had zero logical pathways to acquiring the building. As we stepped into it, I said, Lindsay, I can't even imagine how we can get from where we are to to taking Um, possession of this place but how many people know something happens when the people of god place their feet in the place of promise and i'll never forget walking this building in april of last year with literally zero path to acquiring it but you know in november of last year we closed on the building and this august we'll open the missions.me college in beautiful southern california and we'll begin to move forward in that vision where is it and what is it God is calling you to? Young people, maybe it's a college you need to get into. Why don't you go stand in that university campus? Business owner, maybe God's call been seeding your heart for a while to expand into a new territory why don't you get into your car and begin to drive through that region why don't you walk it when it feels impossible walk it when there's literally no path to it walk it when it looks and seems completely crazy because something happens when the people of God place their feet in the place of promise Maybe it's a ministry you're called to birth or, or a nation you feel God's called you to. As you begin to place your feet in that place, something begins to happen in the spirit. How do we get where we're going? Number three, cultivate contagious passion. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in God and he will give you the desires of your heart. For so many years, I saw that verse is that God would satisfy the desires of your heart. But one of the things I began to learn is that God not only satisfies the desires of your heart, but he actually puts the desires there to begin with. And as we delight ourselves in God, God actually begins to plant desires in our heart himself. And it's incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus to cultivate that desire and that passion. Rather than suppress spiritual desire when God himself plants it in our hearts, we actually have to cultivate it. Because at the end of the day, it is impossible to enter into promise without passion. Passion is absolutely essential because it takes passion to release faith. It takes passion to acquire wisdom. It takes passion to intercede it takes passion to deal with difficult people it takes passion to overcome obstacles and more than anything else it takes passion to endure the discomfort of change because if there's anything that's true is that the diff, there's there's this thing standing between where you are today and where God is taking you and that thing is called process God often will never automatically bring us into promise. Instead, he gives us a glimpse of where we're going, and then we walk through this transitional season called process. And I used to think that the purpose of the process was the promise. But I've come to learn the purpose of the process is not the promise, because we already read in the text, it's what he's already given us. The gifts and caller without repentance. Your promise has already been written in a book. It's already been predetermined before the foundations of the earth. The purpose of the process is not the promise. The, process, the, the promise is done in the spirit. The purpose of the process is change. For us to get where we're going, two things need to change. Number one, we need to change. God says This version of you is not going to work for where I'm taking you. I'm the potter. You're the clay. I'm going to continue to mold you and to shape you. There's some rough edges I still need to work out. There's some cracks I still need to fortify. And this version of you is not going to work for where you're going. So I'm going to keep you in process. The second thing that begins to change is externally. Externally circumstances begin to shift. As we begin to lean into process, all of a sudden the the ground begins to shift beneath our feet. And if we're not careful, we'll become resistant to the change that God himself is bringing. As we begin to lean into process, often everything begins to move. Grace begins to move. Favor begins to shift. Resource begins to to go in different directions people exit our lives new people enter our lives and if we're not cultivating passion we'll never endure the discomfort of change it takes passion to get where we're going and who wants to live this life without passion anyway What an injustice to live the Christian life without a burning passion fueling our soul every single day. How do you get where you're going? Number four, you have to advance courageously. Somebody say courageously. David Livingston, the famous missionary wrote, I'm ready to go anywhere. I'm prepared to go anywhere provided it be forward." One of the things I love about God is he's never leaving us where we are. He's always moving us to the next place. The Bible says the path of the righteous is like the dawning day, shining ever brighter. That means where God is bringing us into is always greater than where we've been. And God says, I want to advance you. I want to move you forward. I want you to step into what you've never stepped into before. The only thing is the, the single thing that always accompanying A company's advancement is trouble. I used to think if there was trouble, God must not be in it. But what I've I've come to learn is if there isn't trouble, God's probably not in it. It's amazing what he tells Joshua. He says, Joshua, I'm giving you the land. I'm giving you promise. I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. He basically says your future is sealed. But then it's like he puts in brackets, and no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. In other words, Joshua, you're going to encounter trouble. But before you even get there, before the resistance even emerges, I'm giving you a promise beforehand. It's not going to work. Nothing will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. He says, Joshua, I'm not not saying weapons aren't going to be formed. I'm just saying they're not going to prosper. I'm just saying that even though you're going to overcome, there's going to be adversity, you're going to have the capacity to overcome every single time. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 10, 29. He said, Mark my words. No one who sacrifices houses, brothers, sister, mother, father, children, land, whatever, because of me and this message will lose out. They'll get it all back but multiplied many times in homes, brother, sister, mother, children, and land. God says, if you're going to leverage your life for the gospel, I am going to bless you outrageously in every area. But he says, there's also troubles. He says, but also in troubles. And then the bonus of eternal life. God never said there wouldn't be giants, but he said he's giving us promise. And before we even step into it, he gives us something to anchor our hearts in. He says, nothing will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And God's looking for people who will have the courage to press forward regardless of what emerges. Who will have the tenacity to push past the obstacles and anything that would rise up against us as we get where we're going. How do we get where we're going? Number five, honor spiritual covering. Seven years ago, when the Holy Spirit spoke to Lindsay and I that the time was gonna come where we would relocate our permanent headquarters and we would uh, birth this ministry college, about six months later, we had an invitation to relocate. And on paper, it looked spectacular. I'll never forget sitting down with my pastor and the other two men who comprise our spiritual covering and saying, look at this opportunity. God spoke to us six months ago. This must be it. We're, We're naturally, we should proceed. And all three of those men looked at us and said, the timing's off. You can't do this. And we had learned that God himself created the office of the pastor one of the worst things you could do is god begins to speak to your heart about your future is sit with your spiritual covering and said fyi i'm going to be doing this we just wanted you in the loop but here's what we're going to do the best thing we can do is say this is what i'm feeling would you pray with us as we journey through this together And I can honestly say, if we would have made that move five and a half years ago, we would have never pulled off One Nation One Day in Honduras, without a doubt, in the Dominican Republic. And God would have absolutely not given us this incredible place He's given us if we had not leaned into an honored covering. In fact, let me say this, especially to the young people in the house and to everyone in the house, as God begins to give you a glimpse of your future, as God begins to stir your heart for something greater. Oftentimes, what I've seen as I've traveled is people begin to isolate themselves from the house. They begin to podcast and journal and do all these things on their own. And you say, where have you been? And they say, you know, I'm just kind of preparing for the next place God has, when actually the reverse should be happening. Think about when God anointed When the prophet Samuel anointed David in front of his entire family, he poured the oil on David. He gave the word of the Lord. He said, you will be the future king of Israel. Six months later, David is tending sheep and willing to deliver cheese and refreshments to his brothers and the battlefield. Six months later, he's still hidden in the house. And when God begins to give you a glimpse of your future, one of the most significant things you could do is hide yourself in the house. Is come under covering with greater alignment than you ever had before. Is to serve pastoral leadership, to serve the authority of the house in the most significant way you can and actually keep your ear to the chest of the leaders around you because that's the place where you'll receive the blessing of God. How do we get where we're going? Number five, honor spiritual covering. And number six, pray the doors wide open. We can never underestimate the necessity of intercession. I think sometimes we use the phrase, God is in control. And it's almost a, a cop out in a way. When people say God is in control, I respond in control of what? Now, we know he's ultimately in control of all things. We know that we've read the back of the book. We know how the story ends. But on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, I think if we were to be intellectually honest tonight, we can't say that God's in control of every single thing that's taking place because the Bible says he wills that none should perish. But how many people know every day people are perishing? Jesus said to the people of Israel, I would have gathered you like a hen her chicks. I would, but you wouldn't. I would, but you wouldn't. And that tells me that the perfect will of God isn't necessarily always accomplished. So Jesus gave us a mechanism. He said, when you stand before, when you stand between heaven and earth and you pray, you say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth As it is in heaven, prayer actually brings the will of God from heaven to earth. And we can never underestimate what happens as we pray. Without any doubt, as we begin to move towards promise, we actually come up against walls barriers. We do everything we know to do. We seek out all the wisdom we can. We work until we can't work anymore. We strategize until we can't strategize anymore. But there comes a moment when the only thing that will break the whole thing open is prayer. I'll never forgive the first one nation. One day we were, God had put in my heart that we could capture the attention of a nation. And I told our staff in Honduras, I said, the only way we're going to be able to do this is if we have a meeting with the president. Well, three months, they worked to arrange the meeting. They came back, they said, Dominic, we're sorry. The president of the Congress will see you, but we can't get a meeting with the president. I said, if we're going to pull this off, it has to be a meeting with the president. They said, well, we've done all we can do. And so we began to pray. We cried out to God. And three days later, they came back and they said, we don't know what changed, but the president of Honduras wants to see you now. I can't tell you how many times how many times, it's midnight or one in the morning or two in the morning and doors are closed. And I get up out of my bed and we begin to walk the floors of the living room. I'm telling you to the men in the house tonight, there's nothing more significant that you can do is walk the floors of your home and call down the will of God from heaven to earth. And invite God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. There's nothing more and significant a young person would do. When I was 14 years old, any teenagers in the house tonight? Any teenagers in the house? There you are. When I was 14 years old, the Lord gave me a vision that one day my entire school would lift their hands and invite Jesus into their heart. I was 14. And every single day almost when I'd come home from school in high school, I would close my door, turn on the worship music, and just begin to pray and say, Lord, I ask you for the salvation of every single person in my high school. Well, my freshman year, sophomore, junior, finally my my last year, we call it senior, do you guys call it senior year here? My last year in high school, it's the second semester, two years before we graduate and I said, Lord, that vision's never happened. Well, we, we got an idea. Um, my dad, who pastored a church in the city, was bringing in a strength team. You know, the guys that break bricks with their heads and bend steel and all that kind of stuff. They said, maybe you can have the, uh, a school assembly. And so I arranged a meeting with the principal of our school. I said, we've got this team coming into the city. Would you be willing to do a school assembly? And the, president's, uh, the principal of the school said back to me, that is not a precedent I wish to establish. So then I had another idea, I thought, maybe I can sell the vision to the student body president because the, pre- the principal loves the student body president and then she could sell the vision to him. And so I told this girl, I said, these guys are coming through town, this, one of them's the strongest man in the world, they, break, they bend steel, they break bricks with their heads, they do all these things. You think you could? He, she said, This sounds amazing. Let me talk to the principal. So she talked to the principal, and the principal said, It's done. We're going to do it. <laughs> and I'll never forget introducing Big James Henderson, the, sm- the strongest man in the world at the time. And he did his thing, and at the end of it, he says, And uh, the, the, the school didn't necessarily know this was going to happen. But he said, if you're here today and you don't know if you were to die, you spend eternity in heaven. And you want to make sure that, that you're right with God. I invite you to lift your hands. I'll never forget seeing all 1,200 students in my high school lift their hands and call on the name of Jesus. <clears throat> we can never underestimate the power of intercession when a man learns how to stand before heaven and call the will of God from heaven to earth, things begin to change. Things begin to shift forever. And I wanna say that this is the most significant time in human history. As we've entered into the best decade of ministry history, we've been declaring as a ministry, Jesus didn't just give us the Great Commission So that the body of Christ would grow. If that were the case, Jesus would have said, go into all the world and add converts. Or he would have said, go into all the world and do great altar calls. If the purpose of the great commission was so that the body of Christ would grow. But we believe that Jesus gave us the great commission so that the body of Christ would lead. Because he said, go into all the world and make disciples of nations. If we're going to make disciples of nations, that means we need to be in the office of presidents. That means we need to be at the head of the boardroom table. That means we need to be in in mass media communications. That means we need to be crafting education. We need to be leading the conversation. The church needs to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, moving nations and cities forward. So there is actually a demand on our life, on your life in this moment like never before. If I'm being completely honest tonight, we're not going to see sustainable transformation through stadium outreaches. Now, filling stadiums and preaching to the masses is a significant part of what we do. And that can be a catalytic moment that can move people from darkness to light. But if there's going to be long-term sustainable transformation, it's actually going to require the people of God occupying positions of influence and bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. So I believe with all of my heart, I'm actually speaking to the most important people in Adelaide tonight. Because if there's going to be transformation in the city, if the city's going to look like heaven, it's going to demand the people in this room go take territory and occupy places of influence. That is why you have to get where you're going. That's why you can't stay where you are. That's why you can't uh, get content and settled with where you're at. That's why we have to keep leaning in and saying, "Lord, until we see what the Bible says we can have, we are going to keep pressing forward. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.